You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. As always on a Monday, we review the weekend's newspapers in South Africa and the world with Katie Katapodis from Nala Media in Johannesburg. Katie, what caught your eye? I've got a couple of things that will, will startle you, but startle me, please. Well, let me tell you what caught my eye. It's what wasn't run, Lindsay, in the newspapers. So, um, as you well know, and you and I have been discussing it for a very, very long time, but there were some big developments. Uh, this weekend in terms of the public protector's report into Pravin Gordon, Minister Pravin Gordon. And one would have expected that at least two of the country's biggest Sunday newspapers would have run with that, because I would have loved the inside scoop into that particular story. But they, they didn't. And in fact, what ended up happening to the Sunday papers is something that no editor or no journalist ever wants to happen to them, is both ended up running the exact same story, um, which I'm assuming they thought was an exclusive for either one of them, about a tender for an SANDF official and his wife. Uh, the Sunday Times wins for the best headline. Their headline was Love Me Tender, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> Very good. Uh, uh, that was absolutely fantastic. The City Press, which ran the exact same story, wrote The General, His Wife and Dodgy Tenders, which is all good and well, but just a tad boring. Yeah, indeed. This is coming to your head this week, I think. I mean, who's going to win? Public Protector versus Pravin? And I have to say, Katie, I don't know how many times you interviewed the minister in whatever ministry he is at the moment, because they seem to change quite a lot. But I had the occasion to interview him just after he had delivered his budget speech. It was maybe seven, eight years ago on behalf of CNBC Africa. And we were in a really, really hot room. The budget day is, is one of those days that is always incredibly hot. There's no air conditioning in Parliament. And we sat there and I found him, I found him, I found that he bristled. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I get people's hackles up like I did with Tito and Bueni, and we've spoken about that before. But he clearly didn't like me. But maybe I'm being too hard on myself, and maybe he's a person that doesn't get on with people. I don't know. What have your interactions been with him? I must say I have not interviewed him, Lindsay. So I haven't had many interactions with him at all. My team of reporters used to talk to him uh, very, very often. And in the past few years, um, he has been – did you use the word bristly? He, bris- he, 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 he bristled. In other words, I walked in and he, he looked yes. at me and thought, why is this person interviewing me? I don't know who he is. I don't know his credentials. And he didn't seem to like me from the, right from the moment I walked in the room. Which <laughs> I'm is, not going to comment on Which is on almost that, impossible, of course. <laughs> almost impossible. He is, by the way, the public enterprises minister. He's had many portfolios and he's now currently the public enterprises minister. Exactly. But, Lindsay, I want to talk about a really, really important part of the story. And for me, it's really intriguing. And it goes, it, it, it involves politics, it involves media. As we know, the Sunday Times has been embroiled in controversy for a really, really long time. Ever so recently, the Sunday Times ran a story apologizing to the country for what it called its rogue SARS report. It apologized and said, essentially, the rogue SARS unit did not exist. Now, it's very, very important to remember this because the public protector's report now finds Pravin Gordon guilty, saying the the SARS rogue unit rather did, in fact, exist. This begs many, many questions. It talks about potential cover-ups in the media, who was protecting whom, why would the Sunday Times say that the SARS rogue unit did not exist 
if we now have a public protector's report claiming that it did exist, who is telling the truth, who was right, who was wrong, and is this going to stand up in a court of law? Because Pravin Gordon is going to court this week saying that the public protector got it wrong and these and her report needs to certainly be, uh, be challenged. So I'm very, very curious um, about this story in particular because senior journalists lost their jobs. Yeah. They lost their jobs and the credibility of the Sunday Times completely tanked. Um, and this was one of the reasons that it tanked. Talking about credibility, the EFF story, which has been running for a while, but it was uh, neatly summed up in the weekly wrap in the Daily Maverick about their the rental of a Camps Bay luxury villa, as the Daily Maverick calls it, during the State of the Nation address a couple of days, the day before, the day after, the day of the State of the Nation address by President Cyril Ramaphosa. They went through the rubbish, Katie. I mean, I don't know if you ever sent your reporters out when you were at uh, Talk Radio 702 or 702, as it just was called in those days. Did you ever send your reporters out and ask them to go through people's rubbish bins? I must say that was never my kind of journalism. I don't believe in that kind of journalism. I do think that there is a place for it somewhere. Um, I personally think that it is going one step too far in terms of searching through somebody's trash and searching through somebody's rubbish. Um, but of course, I'm, I stand to be corrected. You know, I see other media professionals have, have defended the action and they've said that it's not a step too far and it's perfectly legitimate in terms of, of a reporter's um, ability to try and track a story. Yeah, well, what they did uncover was, I think they made a little bit too much of the alcohol story, although it, it didn't sit well with me and probably wouldn't sit well with the EFF's base support. But there were 14 bottles of very expensive alcohol, 700 uh, rand bottles of French champagne of various brands and brandy and all that sort of thing, and all sorts of other unsavory things that they found in the 14 bags of rubbish. But the discrediting of the EFF was palpable. And the response from the EFF, the letter from the spokesperson, was really inadequate. And I don't know, maybe it's it's sort of the Trump factor. It doesn't matter. Their base will love them anyway. But it was a very, very disturbing story for the future of South Africa. And, you know, for me, for me, a very important part for journalism, actually, is that context matters. And this is really critical in our profession. Context matters. What worried me about this particular story is I don't know that we got the adequate context Yes. Who bought those bottles of alcohol? Did the EFF buy them? Was it from the party coffers? Did somebody gift it to them? Yes. Did someone buy them in personal capacity? You just don't have that level of context. And it's the one thing that does concern me about this particular story. Um, having said this, it's very clear that senior party leaders went on some kind of a drinking binge. Um, you know, there are also claims that, that used and unused condoms were found in the trash. Mm. So more than just a drinking binge. Um, it's also claimed that they caused 40,000 rands worth of damage to this foreign, um, this foreign owned Camps Bay villa, if you like. So, so lots of disturbing information coming out of there. But I still maintain that not enough context 
can be garnered from going through somebody's trash. Yes, you're quite right. And it was slightly sensational, the whole way that it was reported. And yes, it, it needed to be more balanced. But anyway, it was a good fun read. A good fun read as well was in The Guardian yesterday. And in fact, it was in the Daily Mail over the weekend in the United Kingdom about the UK ambassador to the United States of America. Leaked emails, leaked messages, leaked. Yeah, they put it out there because they don't like him about Donald Trump and how the UK ambassador and his team in, in Washington absolutely despise the man. And of course, that plays to us, of course, because we're not balanced when it comes to Trump. Oh, do tell. I missed the story. Oh, do tell. They absolutely despise him. Well, the fact that, the fact that it had to be leaked in secret documents, isn't that, um, you know, that's quite something in itself. Go to the Daily Mail and just Google Trump Daily Mail UK ambassador and you'll find the whole story. I mean, these, these few minutes that we have don't do it justice. Uh, the Washington Post, with its fact checker, uh, sent me an email over the weekend and it gave Mr. Trump four Pinocchios. Uh, the Pinocchios being, of course, the big nose of the, uh, the lying puppet. And he gave it they gave him four Pinocchios because he said over the weekend that Obama had begged for a meeting with Kim Jong-un and each time he was rebuffed by the North Korean leader and a spokesperson for the Obama administration in those days said we never asked for a meeting, we didn't want to meet him, we wouldn't meet him because he's a dictator, a murderous dictator so where Mr Trump gets this from I don't know. So the lies continue Katie. I saw that, I saw that and I really chuckled. You know, you know what amazes me about Donald Trump and I'm sure we've said this before and if we haven't said it before it's something that quite gets me. This is the man who keeps going on and on and on about the fake media and the fake news and the fake New York Times and fake CNN. And you see him going on and on and on. But this is also the man who began, in my mind, a cycle of fake news when he first claimed that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. And, 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 and he peddled that fake news for as long as he could. So the irony is certainly not... Uh, not lost on me. Um, he is quite something, is old Donald Trump. Yes, he is, and quite something as well, which is a business story. Deutsche Bank is letting go 18,000 jobs worldwide over the next three years. 8,000 of those jobs will be in the city of London and indeed their admin centre in Birmingham in the UK. And the knock-on effects to South Africa, because Deutsche Bank used to be revered in financial circles in Johannesburg. Begin, everyone would say, oh, Deutsche Bank says this, Deutsche Bank says that. I would imagine, and I haven't gone through the details, that some of the 18,000 staff that will be culled worldwide, Katie, will be in Johannesburg, Cape Town, maybe, I don't know, but I think they only have a Johannesburg presence. So not good news for South Africa. Again, Deutsche Bank, massive, massive organisation, but plagued by scandal, plagued by bureaucracy, and is scaling down. Any job losses that come our way in South Africa is very, very bad news, in fact, Lindsay. We know that our economy is struggling. We know that job losses um, are, are actually unacceptably high. The number of jobs shed in the first quarter of this year, extremely high. Um, I think we were looking at over 271,000, if I'm not mistaken. I stand to be corrected on the exactness of that figure. But uh, wouldn't be good news at all if, if anybody in South Africa lost their job. Katie, thank you very much for your time this morning. How's the traffic, by the way? And just give us some, some colour here. Where are you? <laughs> you want some colour? Well, I'm now driving through Saxon World, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, the the Jacarandas, of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Jacarandas aren't in season, but I'm certainly... Um, so we don't have that beautiful purple of the Jacarandas. 
Uh, I must tell you, I'm on Bluetooth, by the way. So I'm certainly not holding my phone and driving. I'm on Bluetooth. Well done. I'm now heading towards the Johannesburg War Museum, which is a beautiful, beautiful building. And uh, the Joburg Zoo, which is absolutely gorgeous as well. It's a lovely day. The traffic is very good because half the schools are still on holiday, ah. which makes my which makes my journey exceptionally pleasant. And again, the, the colour needs to be coloured up a little bit more because why are you going to the War Museum? I'm not going to the War Museum. I'm driving past the War Museum. Oh, I thought you were a military historian or something. Katie Catapotis. No, 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 no. I'm driving past the War Museum, <laughs> the Johannesburg Zoo and the Zoo Lake, en route to my first meeting of the day. Good luck with your first meeting of the day. Katie Catapotis is the founder of Nala Media in Johannesburg. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.